We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29 this morning. Um, and I am going to read, and you can read along with me, and you can listen to me. Um, let's read. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Pray with me. Father, thankful for your word and your truth. And this morning as we discover what is required of us as believers, uh, may you Take everything I say um, and illuminate it in the hearts and minds of everyone here. Um, bring understanding. We need you to not only bring understanding this morning, but help us to know how to apply it to our lives throughout the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've worked harder than anyone. I've been in prison many times. I've been whipped, and I've faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once, I was stoned. Three times, I was shipwrecked. Once, I spent a whole night and the day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring Many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, who is the author of this letter to the congregation um, in a city called Colossae. Paul experienced intense suffering from the beginning of his Christian ministry. After he was radically saved, he began preaching the gospel whenever, wherever he had the opportunity. Shortly after Paul began preaching, his preaching ministry, some of the Jewish leaders at the time made a plan to kill him. This persecution and suffering 
of Paul would become a theme for the rest of his life. Just like Paul and so many other believers, suffering and persecution will become a theme in your life if you're here and you're a Christian. The Bible teaches that we cannot escape suffering in this fallen world, but through Christ, we can learn how to endure suffering. In our passage for this morning, we're going to discover several things every believer should expect. And the first is, every believer is going to suffer for the church. Look at verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. This is Paul writing. Paul was not only willing to suffer for the gospel, but what we're told here, which is mind-blowing, is that he rejoiced because of his suffering for the gospel. He rejoiced because of the difficulties and challenges he faced because of his commitment to Jesus. Now, the question is, why would someone, why would Paul rejoice in the stressful and difficulty, um, difficult circumstances he faced? And the answer is because God often achieves his most impactful gospel work through the suffering of his people. If you look back at the history of the church, what you will discover is that the birth of the church and the spread of the gospel is closely related to suffering and persecution. You look at the book of Acts, the reason why the gospel began to spread and infiltrate and spread throughout the nations was because of persecution. We've seen this throughout church history. An example of this is the story of Pastor Histro Kulishev, a congregational pastor in Bulgaria. On January 9th, 1985, he was arrested and put in prison. And what was his crime? He preached in his church even though the state had appointed another man, the pastor, whom the congregation did not elect. His trial was a mockery of justice. He was sentenced to eight months in prison, and during his time in prison, every opportunity he got, he got to share Christ. And then when he was released from prison, this is what he wrote. He said, Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. This story is one of many stories that sharpens our trust in the fact that God is in the business of using hardship for gospel progress. Think of how many people have suffered for the sake of the gospel and then think that because of their hardship, churches were established and disciples were made. The fruit of gospel ministry is what provides endurance and even joy in suffering for Christians. We're not only instructed to rejoice in our suffering for the gospel, but as we suffer, 
we're also informed in verse 24 that we're actually, look at it, verse 24, that we're actually filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. This verse is one of the most debated in all of Scripture, right? There's a lot of debates going on in the world, okay? And um, I'm a big soccer fan, as some of you know, or probably figured out. And one of the biggest debates in soccer at the moment is who is the greatest player of all time. And the two players that people pit, um, you know, think is the greatest of all time is Lionel Messi or Ronaldo, okay? And there's a big debate amongst footballers. I'm a person, personally, I'm a Lionel Messi fan, all right? I know Jeff over there, he's grinning, right? He's a Ronaldo fan. He thinks Ronaldo is the greatest of all time. I don't agree. I've got the microphone. <laughs> so I'm winning. But there's debates, all right? There's debates everywhere. In basketball, there's debates. Kids debate about who is, you know... I don't know, kids debate about all sorts of stuff. Um, in all of Scripture, like, debates are happening. And like I said, this verse is the most debated in all of Scripture. Many books have been published on exactly this verse and exactly what Paul actually means by filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Okay? Now, put on your academic hats. We're going to get deep here. All right? You guys ready? Put on your seatbelts. Academic hats. Here we go. Good. What we know for sure, what we know for sure is that this verse is not saying that the death of Jesus was not sufficient for salvation. It's not saying that. This letter to the Colossians and the rest of the New Testament teaches that Jesus' death was sufficient for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Okay, What this means that if you are here and you're a Christian, Jesus' death was enough for you. For your salvation and the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. On the other hand, if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you believe and trust in Jesus as not only your Savior but your Lord, his death will be sufficient for you for eternal life and forgiveness of every sin you've committed. So what does this verse mean? First of all, it's referring to physical suffering. We know this because Paul says, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Now, the word afflictions is never used in the New Testament for the sacrificial suffering of Jesus Christ. So in this case, it's referring to the persecutions Paul endured, his physical suffering. The sacrificial sufferings of Christ for our sins is complete. But his church, that is his people, Christians, also um, experience suffering because of their commitment to him. Jonathan Rourke, who's a pastor friend of mine, um, Tri-City Church in Vista, explains it this way. This is a killer quote. Listen to it. It says, In the process of his physical suffering, Paul fulfills the purpose of the afflictions endured by Jesus Christ. This in no way adds to the sufficiency or perfection of Christ's atoning death, but only models the promised fact that those who follow Christ in this life will suffer. And what does this mean to us as believers? If you're here and you're a Christian, 
and you've decided to follow Jesus, you will experience suffering and hardship because of your commitment to Christ. And the many discomforts we'll experience in this broken world because of Christ is not for our benefit, right? But verse 24 tells us it's for the sake of his body that is the church. Following Christ and suffering for his church demands sacrifice. And you may experience, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You will, as a believer, suffer because of Jesus. It may mean that you suffer rejection and mockery from friends. Um, when I became a Christian, I was in college at the time, okay? And as soon as I became a Christian, a lot changed in me, and there's a lot of things I was doing that I couldn't do, okay? And my friends, who were still doing some of the things I could not now do, um, were mocking me. You know, at college, they would call me all sorts of names. And this was all because of my newfound commitment to Jesus Christ. Your commitment to Christ may cause you to suffer the pain of broken relationships. A friend of mine who I went through seminary with had to choose between his family and Jesus. And the reason he had to do that is his family wanted him to become a doctor. There's no problems with becoming a doctor. Okay, nothing at all. But God was calling him into, his min into ministry. And what did he do? He chose to go into the ministry. And as a result, his family disowned him. He's experiencing the pain of estrangement from his family because of his commitment to Jesus. As a Christian, we will suffer for the church. And like I said, this is not a matter of if, but it's when. And when you suffer, this is awesome. Don't be surprised when you also experience joy and satisfaction in it. This is the first thing we're to expect as a Christian, and we're to expect suffering for the church. The second thing that is required of every believer is to share the gospel with everyone. Paul, like I said, is the author of this letter to a congregation located in the city of Colossae. Paul wasn't always the man he is as he writes this letter. In fact, before he was radically saved, he was extremely hostile to the church. He persecuted Christians. But by God's grace, he was saved. And shortly after his conversion, he faithfully fulfilled the ministry God had entrusted to him. And that was to make the word of God fully known. In other words, what Paul is saying here in verse 25 to the Colossians is that God has given me the honor and responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message to you. And the question is, what is this message? Verse 26, which is interesting, begins to supply us with an answer. And it says, this message he's talking about is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Okay? Dead certain. It's the title of one of the best-selling uh, mystery novels out at the moment. It is described as a thrilling mystery book, like all of them, all right, that will have you turning page after page after page after page, okay? The front cover 
all right? Like most mystery novels, it's just weird, all right? And spooky and complex and strange and all of these things, all right? The content of the book and the artwork for the front cover represents our culture's understanding of what mystery is, okay? To us, who are modern readers, a mystery is something that is puzzling and difficult to understand. But at the time this letter was written, this wasn't the way they understood uh, mystery. It was a word associated with several cults that were represented in the city of Colossae at the time. Okay? And so, these were the so-called mysteries, mysterious religions that were known to include this whole initiation and mystical ceremonies. But in this verse, the term mystery refers to a kind of sacred secret hidden in the past and now revealed in the present. And so, what hidden truth is now revealed to God's people, what is it? Look at verse 27. It says, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so this, the hidden truth, this mystery that is being talked about, um, that is now revealed to God's people, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. During the Old Testament times, God worked through the nation of Israel to fulfill his purposes. He also promised them that he would raise up a king from among them who would one day establish an eternal kingdom and fulfill the many promises he had made to them. Through his promise, what God did was that he provided Israel with information about the Messiah that would help them know who he was. These prophecies or predictions identified Jesus' family tree when he'll come, when he'll be born, and eventually die as a substitute for the sin of the world, and then achieve resurrection from the grave. Several hundred years later, in the New Testament, Jesus appears on the, on the scene, and what he does is that he fulfills these predictions. But the Old Testament didn't fully and clearly reveal the next stage of God's plan, and this Stage is what is known as the mystery. The Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah, but the idea that Christ, by the Holy Spirit, would take up permanent residence in believers was this mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And not only that, but this mystery also involves the idea that the riches and glory of Christ is also available to Gentiles, okay? And the Gentile, right? If you don't know what a Gentile is, it's not a word that we use in our culture, you know? No one calls each other Gentile or, hey, you're a Gentile. No, not none of that. A Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish, okay? It's non-Jews, all right? If you're here and you're not Jewish, have any Jewish connections or anything, you are a Gentile, Okay? Turn around to someone. No, I'm kidding. You don't need to call anyone a Gentile. I'm kidding. This letter by Paul is written primarily to Gentile believers. For a long time, no one, not even generations of faithful Jews, could unlock this mystery. 
they were unable to fully comprehend and understand what God was up to. And the mystery to which Paul is calling attention to is that at this stage of history, the death and resurrection of Jesus was for anyone and everyone who believes in him regardless of their ethnicity. Therefore, the mystery that was hidden and now revealed is that the riches and glory of Christ is also available for Gentiles. God's saving purpose from the beginning was extended to Gentiles, to us, to non-Jews. And what made this mysterious um, to many Jews was their belief that God's promises, mainly in the Old Testament, was for them. Gentiles being partakers of the riches and glory of Christ was a puzzling reality for Jews at the time. From an ancient Jewish perspective, this, this, this doesn't make sense. And they felt this way because Jews and Gentiles didn't like each other at the time. But through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Jew and Gentile are no longer divided, but are now united in Christ. They can both experience the wonder and glory of the abiding, indwelling Jesus. Ephesians 3, 4, um, verses 4 to 6 says, When you read this, you can perceive by my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And for us Gentiles, non-Jews, this should be good news. Okay, that God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is the king, came not only to seek and save Jews, but Gentiles as well. This is good news and should cause us to rejoice. And this is why Paul is rejoicing. Even though it cost him a great deal of suffering, he rejoices that God chose him specifically to make the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, known to both Jews and Gentiles anywhere and everywhere. Paul suffered an apostle to the Gentiles, and most of his opposition came from Jews who viewed his gospel as a threat to their privilege and, um, and special identity. But Paul, and we all should be, was convinced that God intended the gospel to be shared with all peoples. And so the question we need to wrestle with as a result of what we've just seen is that are you willing to obey what God calls you to, even if it's out of your comfort zone? Okay, Are you open to sharing Christ, to sharing the gospel, the hope of glory with whomever God comes, uh, with whoever God connects you with, even if it's costly? As believers, we are called to go and make disciples of all nations. We are expected to share the gospel with everyone. And now lastly, um, the third way um, we're to live as Christians and the third expectation is that we are to minister for maturity. Look at verse 28. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, okay? Uh, I butcher names sometimes, okay? There's just certain names that I just can't pronounce, and this is one of them, all right? His name is Eugene Rowe Kapartain, 
Who knows this guy here? Anyone know this guy? No? No one's there. No one. He wrote a book called The Teaching Church. And in this church, what he does, and in this book, what he does is he helps us understand the dominant belief systems of our culture. And he provides the following statistics. One third of adults believe that through meditation and self-discipline, they have come to know that all, all spiritual truth and wisdom is within them. Okay? 9% believe in re reincarnation and astrology. And 7% of adults believe it is possible to communicate with the dead. This and many other lies are what many um, we meet in our culture adhere to. And this is why there is such an urgency for believers to fulfill this calling, to fulfill what we just read in verse 28, and that is to share Jesus, warn everyone, teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When we're convinced that what we're doing really matters, we are more willing to sacrifice and suffer for it. Victor Emil Frankl is a Holocaust survivor. Um, he was a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp. During his time in the camp, he noted that the prisoners who had a meaning for their lives were able to endure terrible suffering. He also discovered that those who lacked a meaning for their lives and who lived only to avoid suffering soon withered and died. Frankl, um, after being released, went on to de develop what he called legotherapy. Okay? Legotherapy, now, is a form of psychotherapy that focuses on having a meaning for life that is bigger than temporal comfort and circumstantial happiness. He says in the book, he says in his book, he says, once an individual's search for meaning is successful, it not only renders him happy, but also gives him the capability to cope with suffering. Victor Frankl was an agnostic. He was not a Christian. So what he was doing, right, uh, which wasn't right, was wrongfully instructing people to find meaning in created things rather than the creator, God. But there's some truth to his philosophy. There's some truth to his idea. And that is if we're convinced that what we're doing really matters, we're more willing and able to suffer and endure for it. The Apostle Paul rejoiced in his suffering. And that is because he was aware of God's plan for his life. He was given the privilege of leading Gentiles to faith and maturity. Paul was able to endure suffering. We looked at a list of his suffering, right, at the beginning. He was able to endure suffering with joy because he was mindful of the fact that the hardships he faced had a purpose, that they are profitable because they have advanced God's plan to save people. Jesus' suffering was enough to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. Jesus' um, sacrificial death on the cross was enough to pay for every sin you've committed, okay? Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross was enough to provide you with eternal life, absolutely. 
But in order for the world to fully benefit from his sacrificial death, his followers have to spread his message of salvation. And in order for us to spread the good news, each of us has to, at some point in our life, endure suffering. Like Paul, we as believers are called by God to make him known. We all have a part to play. Listen to this. In your life right now, God is at work and he desires you to contribute to his work for redeeming lost sinners and maturing saved sinners. Before you were born, God had prepared for you the unique role he wants you to play in his story. And he had also set in stone the specific time and place in which you would serve him. This all means you have been given all you need, if you're here and you're a believer, to play your part in helping people know Jesus. Tim Keller, who I love very much, says, There are hands out there that only you can hold. There are people out there that only you can reach. There are hearts breaking that only you can heal. God made you like a fingerprint, and there are certain people out there that he wants to touch through you, and they're not going to be touched without you. So go. Some years ago, a woman in Africa became a Christian. Being filled with gratitude and amazement and joy because of her newfound faith in Jesus, she decided to do something for Jesus. She was blind, uneducated, and 70 years old. She came to her missionary with a French Bible and asked her to underline John 3.16 in red ink. And John 3.16, if you don't know it, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the verse that he asked, she asked, um, her French, um, her missionary to underline in her Bible. Mystified, the missionary watched her as she took her Bible and sat in front of a boy's school in the afternoon. When school dismissed, she would call a boy or two and ask them if they knew French. When they proudly responded that they did, she would say, please... Read the passage underlined in red. When they did, she would ask, do you know what this means? And she would tell them about Jesus and tell them how there's hope in Jesus for them. She would basically communicate the gospel to them. The missionary says that over the years, 24 young men became Christians and pastors because of this lady who was blind, uneducated, and 70 years old. The question I want to pose to you guys, for you guys to go away and ponder and think about and meditate on is, are you willing to go? Are you willing to pray for and look for opportunities wherever God has placed you to share Christ And as you go, 
know that you are not alone. You're not doing this in your own strength. I love um, verse 29 of this, uh, of this passage. It says this, For this I toil, I, Paul is speaking, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is amazing. As we go out and as we seek to make disciples and as we seek to share Jesus and as we seek to warn people and teach people and all of these things, we are reminded in verse 26 that God is with us. And he's not only with us, but he is powerfully working in you and through you as you work to share the good news to all people so that the lost may be saved and the saved mature and the mature multiply. This is the hope you have as a believer. And so as a Christian, what you're involved in, what is required of you, what the expectations are is that you will suffer for the church. You will experience suffering for the church. And that you will minister for maturity. And that also you will share with everyone Jesus Christ, who is the hope of glory. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your reminder. Thank you for reminding us that you are always with us and you will never leave us or forsake us. Father, life in this fallen world will bring about suffering and pain and hardship. I thank you for reminding us that we can have joy knowing that in the difficulties we face because of our faith and because of our desire to make you known, you will help us not only endure, but you will help us find joy in it. May you be glorified in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time... Um, I want to read um, 1 Corinthians 11.26, um, and it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, this is talking about communion, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. And in this verse, Paul is um, reminding us that as we partake, as we celebrate Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, that we are proclaiming his death until he comes. This morning, through our celebration of the Lord's Supper, we will proclaim uh, the death of Christ. And these elements, um, which represent the body and the blood of Christ, are a visible sermon to us. They are um, the gospel in tangible form. They proclaim to us the great drama of redemption in Christ, salvation in the present. They also proclaim to us salvation in the past and also proclaim to us salvation in the future. And in light of such a salvation, the Apostle Paul warns us that whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Before we partake of this supper, what we need to do is examine ourselves this morning, recognizing both the gravity of our sin and the weight of Christ's glorious sacrifice. 
And that's what we're to do. We're going to celebrate communion. And we celebrate communion. And we call it a celebration because it's a remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so if you're a believer and if you're saved, may your time in partaking in communion give you a deep and abiding reminder of what Jesus has done for you. And so it's over.